Locked on NBA Today, Sam Amick, the lead writer for the NBA for The Athletic, will join us. We'll talk a lot about his piece he wrote today about the Houston Rockets. We'll touch in on the Warriors, some awards items, get into a little bit Giannis Harden debate, and some other items. Let me quickly run through what went on last night in the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference. The playoff race in the Eastern Conference went very Eastern Conference-esque. Detroit, who was in the sixth spot, fell to Indiana 108-89 last night. Indiana just kind of continues to amaze uh, even a little more shorthanded than just no Oladipo in that one. Corey Joseph played the point guard and had 12 assists for them. Uh, and Aaron Holiday continued to kind of have a revival, put in 29 minutes off the bench uh, for the Pacers. Then Eastern Conference, uh, Brooklyn needing a win, hosted Toronto. They fell 115-105. Toronto's been playing very well recently. They got 28 from Siakam, 26 from Kawhi. Marcus Gasol was just 3 of 10. Uh but Serge Ibaka gave him 23 off the bench. D'Angelo Russell had a pretty exciting stretch rate, three straight threes, but it wasn't enough. So they're now a game below 500. Den- the Pistons are still in sixth at 39 and 39. The one team that won last night was Orlando. They win at 114 to 100 against the Knicks. Always nice to play the Knicks. They got 29 from Vuk. And then Miami against Boston. Miami falls as well. 112 to 102 to the Boston Celtics. So the six, seven, eight, nine contested spots. Detroit is 39-39, Brooklyn 39 and 40, Orlando 39 and 40, and now Miami is 38 and 40. You might look at that in the wins column instead of the loss columns, the way those teams are playing. Uh, Charlotte is two and a half out. They got a win last night, so they are still at least in theory, still in this. Denver clicked back in, had a massive night. 41 assists last night for the Nuggets. Uh, The Joker was one assist short. Pop got ejected 63 seconds into that game, and the Denver wins at 113-85. to Utah got rid of Phoenix. Devin Booker got turned an ankle on that one. It's probably done for the season. Portland continues to be masterful and blows out Memphis, and then Houston put a whooping on the Clippers, 135-103 last night. So the playoff standings there now look... Houston and Portland are both tied at 28 losses. Houston's won one more game. The Jazz are at 30 losses. Clippers are at 32. Thunder at 33. Spurs are at 34. We actually can look at a loss column as a mechanism in the Western Conference uh, to see Golden State feels pretty well established as the one. Denver pretty well established as the two. We are, it's not clear who 3-4 is. Utah seems almost certain at the five at this point. Uh and then, though the Clippers two games back do play the Jazz, come up here and the Jazz are a little injury riddle. All right, that's your quick recap on last night. Here's our conversation we had yesterday afternoon for Locked on NBA. Sam Amick of The Athletic is our guest today. Very super excited for our conversations. We never quite know where they're going to go. Today we actually know our starting spot of our journey, but we're not quite sure where we're ending. So we'll see. How are you, Sam? I'm good, David. I agree with your synopsis there, but I think that's the uh, the joy in our little chats is uh, just taking it wherever it leads us. So we are going to start where you have been recently, which is you headed down to Houston, where you were kind of earlier in the year as well, to talk with Mike D'Antoni. Um, they're they're rolling right now. They are. They, there's a bunch of fun little notes on them that we'll get into. But give me your feeling on just kind of what you what you what jumped out as you as you went on your latest trip Houston there's a piece up at the athletic today um, for everybody on that uh, and they can and they can check it out um, at the athletic but what was your kind of takeaway from your time there 
Well, first of all, in the interest of uh, transparency, this time I was in Houston earlier this year. This time the Rockets came my way, and it was very easy to drive up the road and go say hello to the group in Sacramento, where I'm, as you know, where I'm based. And so Mike, uh, D'Antoni, and I have always gotten along pretty well. And the thing I love about the way he kind of approaches media is there's a pretty transparent approach. And uh, this time of year, and we've done this before, when his guys are in the running for major awards and when there are things to be talked about in terms of his team and how they're playing and what it all means, you know, the access is pretty good. So we sat down in his office before that win against the Kings and we chopped it up. The part that, that made it fun was that it wound up becoming a little bit of a group discussion. Uh, Jeff Bezelik was sitting there getting work done on his laptop and he kind of chimed in, you know, the, the Rockets defensive guru for the last couple of years and even some other staffers. I mean, to your point, they are playing at an extremely high clip. And I knew they were playing well. I don't know until I, I dived into the numbers that I truly appreciated how well they're playing. Now that being said, they, they play the Clippers tonight. Who knows how that one goes? But if you go back to December 8th, uh, they were 11 and 14, and they seem to be off the tracks. And since then, they uh, Milwaukee is the only squad out there with a better record. The, that they are three games, three wins behind the Bucks during that span, and that's a pretty massive sample size. Uh, they have the fourth best net rating during that time. The, the other development that they're pretty excited about is that on the defensive side of the ball, if you go back to the All-Star break, as far as the timestamp, they're second in the league in defensive rating. So they feel good and, and like they're going to have an, another bite at that apple when it comes to the Warriors. You know, that defensive thing is interesting you bring up there because Jeff Bedzilic rejoins the team. They don't get better, and now they do. Do they think it's because of Bedzilic and the defensive guru? Do you think it's because the guys just decided they wanted to win again? What do you think happened? What do they think happened defensively? I would be lying to you if I told you that I, I had any great clarity there because the, the thing is, you know, I always kind of laugh there's an old line Jeff Petrie the old Kings GM when I covered the Kings would say to me every so often in sarcastic form you know never let the facts get in the way of a good story and so Bizdelic coming back to save the defense sounds like a good story uh, I went back and looked at it today they had like an eight game stretch where they really got it together right before Bizdelic came back so the you know the recovery started even before he came back. Uh, I think if you had to highlight, though, things that made it tricky and why they took so long, I mean, the roster turnover on this group this year has been, you know, even greater again than I, I kind of took or kind of, you know, accounted for. They have six guys uh, that were not on that squad when they lost to the Warriors in Game 7 of the Western Conference Finals. You know, six brand-new faces, uh, six guys who are now gone. And that part, combined with the injuries, Chris Paul missing 17 games, Clint Capella missing 15, uh, things like that. The suspensions early on when they got in the fight with the Lakers. So a lot of layers to it. But, uh, you know, they, now it's the athleticism of, you know, young Daniel House Jr., who's worked out pretty well. And, uh, and Chris and James, I think backcourt-wise, being pretty strong defensively. Like I actually, next time we chat, I'll be curious to hear your reaction to the Rocket staff's attempt to kind of account for James's defense, you know, and I know we all know kind of who cuts their checks and what team they're on, but you know they also were, were trying to operate 
when it comes to data and substance. Um, so again, they're, they're looking a whole lot better now though. It's, it's an interesting one. I was looking at it today, trying to figure out what they've actually, why they've gotten so good defensively. The numbers, the numbers aren't totally there. It's interesting. Um, they've had some unbelievable defense. Well, they've had these like amazing defensive games. And then they've also had some blurbs, some, some blips on the radar screen. And so it's a little hard to tell, like, they went down and played Philadelphia and Dallas in these back-to-back games and held them to below a point of possession. Then they did that against Phoenix, which isn't that big a deal. And they did it against New Orleans, which isn't that big a deal. And then they just throttled Denver defensively. So the, their defensive rate, first of all, we have to remember that the sample size post-All-Star break is really small. I think it's, and I actually think it's faulty numbers. Like, I mean, I can, I'm working for the Utah Jazz, so we could, I could claim they're the best team in the NBA since the All-Star break, and it's just a small sample size against not a lot of very good teams. And so sure. I'm, not a, I'm not a big believer in this post-All-Star game sample size, um, and so that has me a little nervous. But I was digging. I was stunned. I didn't realize they were number two defensively until yesterday. And so I went and looked at it, and they're still just – I don't know. I'm not – it didn't look to me like – when you dig into it, there are these individual nights where their defense was amazing that is driving their entire defensive number down. And then there are just too many double-digit 110, 116, 115 defensive nights which aren't quite as real to me. So I'm not totally sold that yeah. that defense is where everyone thinks it is. Well, I mean, they like their depth. And, you know, Austin Rivers, he's, he's had a couple of DNPs lately. But, you know, defensively, he's strong. Um, for Reed, you've, you've certainly got to hide, and that's a, a weakness. But I think that, you know, the, the James stuff did get my attention in terms of his focus, and not only that, but his his kind of awareness of the narrative around him. He knows that everybody still continues to, <clears throat> excuse me, to have him a little bit of, of a punchline on that end of the floor, and he knows that that is keeping him from, you know, being remembered and considered an even greater player. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, brother. Got a little frog in my throat. But, you know, they, uh, again, they feel pretty good about it. I, I don't know what to think either. I will say this much. If you compare them to the Warriors, which is the only team that you really have to compare yourselves to, you know, they're right there in terms of the season-long numbers uh, being a mediocre defense. I mean, they're essentially in the same neighborhood uh, between those two squads. No, they're, they're great. I mean, I, I don't think anybody wants to play them in the playoffs. They're rolling – they have put it back together stunningly because when you saw them the last time, they were trying to claim that bringing Carmelo was going to be fine and losing Luke Bamute and Trevor Ariza yeah. was going to be fine. Yeah, yeah. That wasn't true. I mean, this is a it, it's nice to do this when you have the best or you know best or second best player in the NBA. But they deserve some credit for fixing this thing on the fly pretty well. They do. It's funny you say that. I've got a line in the story where I tried to offer a disclaimer. Because I don't ever want the reader feeling like, you know, we're just out here letting anybody and everybody, you know, give their spin. If it's spin, it needs to be identified as spin. And so Mike D'Antoni transparently would like James Harden to be the MVP. But I also respect Mike enough to know that he's a pretty real dude who, you know, long past his rocket phase is going to want you to know that he's a real dude. Now, that being said, if you hit the rewind button, you go back to this uh, enjoyable lunch that Mike and I had in October, like you said, when, when everybody was talking about no Trevor Ariza, no Luke Bonamute, you know, Mike did at that time 
in a, some quasi-political type style try to convince me that the mellow thing was somehow going to work, uh, specifically on the defensive end. You know, and that was a train wreck. They had to get past that. Daramore and, and Gerson, uh, Gerson Rosas in their front office had to go out and find all these pieces. And I, you know, I'm pretty surprised that they've gotten it back to this level because even if they recovered mildly, I, I, you know, I did not think they were going to be right here kind of staring the Warriors right in the face again. If I want to be perfectly honest, the day Chris Paul tears the hamstring, I am with having lunch with Kevin Pelton uh, and Kevin Calabro, the TV voice of the Blazers, and I pronounce that they're done. Like and I pronounce that they're yeah. not like sort of done; that they're like long term done. So they right. uh, now it's you know what's interesting by the way. Also, as I was digging into pick and roll numbers yesterday, Chris Paul's still not very good. Sure, you know it's a it's a really interesting. Yes. I mean, his pick and roll numbers it, they don't have last year when they went to the playoffs. They had a second option offensively without. Um. James Harden on the floor. They they had a right. They, right. They don't have that this year. They now have right. one option offensively. James Harden, whether you know off picks is great. Like he's, I think he's run the fourth most amount of pick and rolls in the league. He's obviously run the most ISOs. He's great. But you start getting into the top hundred pick and roll guys, and Chris Paul's about seventy fourth or fifth in pick and roll of the hundred most common pick and roll guys. That's not where Chris Paul used to be. That's interesting, too, because, you know, when they went out and got Chris, and when Chris, you know, forced that trade with the Clippers, came their way, the whole narrative was that James was getting tired in the playoffs, that he had too much on his plate, and, that you know, that disastrous San Antonio series where, you know, that all came to a head. You know, the idea was that Chris was supposed to go pick up 50% of that superstar load, and... If you look at usage rate this year, the gap between James and Chris is a, a whole lot bigger now than it was a year ago. Um, th- if you had to like kind of pick apart Mike D'Antoni's perspective, which is fair to do, you know, I would look at the playoffs and the idea because I asked Mike, like, how do you feel about the idea that this load is, is so much that you know do we run into the same similar storyline of James getting tired of the playoffs again? And he brought up the fact that he's not alone; he's got Chris. But the way they are. Uh, built the way they are operating right now is you know James is going to have to be Superman if they're going to get this thing done. Yeah, I, I, that that's otherwise I'm super. I mean I'm not want to. I'm not trying to disparage them in any way, but that's the weakness I think that exists. Uh, my last check, by the way, of the 50 top pick and roll guys in the league. So that's the guys who front a thousand. Chris Paul ranked 40th. Interesting. Yeah, that's not good. That's the same. I mean, as, do, that's the same as Reggie Jackson and. Um, Jeff Teague, I think, was the last time I, I ran the number. Right. That's, that's unflattering. Um, it's also, though, the thing that won't, I know this sounds like corny old-school basketball talk, but, like, the thing that won't show up on NBA.com is Chris's competitiveness is just completely kind of now tied into the Rockets ethos, and, and that's the part where, whether it's on the defensive end and deciding to, focus on that end of the floor or the leadership side of things, you know, they got to keep him healthy. Even if he is, you know, falling short on the pick and roll side of things, he's, uh, he's still big to what they do. I think he's Sam Amick of the athletic readers piece on the rockets and get it there. And then when you're done doing that, 
Go to wise.com slash locked. What? Wise. W-Y-Z-E. Sam, you should actually check this out because you have kids the same age as me. I've decided this is, they do this for babies and things. It's one of these cameras that you can put inside your house and get to watch your Amazon packages or your pets or maybe your baby upstairs and you can get on your phone. It's only, it's pretty incredible. It's only 20 bucks. But I've decided that I have a teenager and you have a teenager and maybe I should have this on the house when I'm on the road. What do you think, Sam? Should we get this and so we can just be totally helicopter parents and monitor our children <laughs> at all times? You know, I have a 16. 16- well, first of all, don't, don't be speeding up father time on me. I, I got a 12-year-old. I'm oh, then you don't need it yet. Stage yet. You don't need it yet. Yeah. But I have a 16-year-old and a 14-year-old. And our 16-year-old spends a decent amount of time at the house. He's a pretty good kid, but let me make sure he's a pretty good kid, I think might be the answer here. And I can go get my wise camera and have it come right to my phone. It's got um, it's got a perpetual loop to it. You can check it out. It's pretty cool. Check it out. W-Y-Z-E. I know it's pronounced wise, but or spelled it's pronounced wise and spelled wyze.com slash lock 1080 pull image or 1080 full HD images. So clear. You won't miss anything Two way audio free rolling 14 day cloud storage on it. Go check it out. Wyze.com slash locked. You can watch your plants grow. You can see if your water softening, whatever you need to do with it. I'm going to watch my children. You can watch the Amazon packages, whatever it might be. WYZE.com slash locked. Only 20 bucks. You can get multiple. You are spending a lot of time around the Warriors. Um, Every time the Warriors need to make a little statement to remind us that they're a lot better than Denver, they have done so this year. Um, They've done so a few other times. are uh, Are they just waiting to click in is your viewpoint at this at this time? Yeah, I guess. I mean, I still have, you know, some skepticism about matchup stuff that they will probably run into. And then the, you know, the Jekyll and Hyde nature of their locker room and their personalities, you know, I'm just not sure what to, to make of all of it. They, uh, they come out and they do things like they did against the Nuggets, which by the way, as you know, was, you know, the second time in a couple of weeks that they've took, you know, just basically sent that message that Denver is not on their level. Um, had a bunch of wins like that lately. Kevin Durant playing with a ferocity, you know, before he got ejected, that got my attention. And, uh, you know, I think DeMarcus Cousins making it his new personal mission to go out and, and try to wreck every big man who people say is better than him these days. There's a lot of motivation there. And we all know the talent, uh, you know, but then they just have these other stinker games that come out of nowhere. And, you know, I think that is why they are, in my opinion, still more gettable than they were before. But, you know, it's, it's tough to really buy into that argument after watching uh, that game last night. We just talked about Houston. Do you, you do, And Denver just – Denver's in this funky little stretch. How do you evaluate this time of year? Like, on one level you should think that the Oklahoma Cities and the Denvers should be winning every night because they're important games. On the other end, it's pretty late in the season. And, and, right. and data shows that the first 20 are way more important than the last 20 – do you get concerned with Denver right now? Do you get, I mean, Oklahoma City, I think, has proven that they're just not very good or they're not as good as everybody thought they were. Um, what, what's, your, what's your take on Denver right now? Yeah, I mean, I do. The Denver thing, I would uh, look at that and take it pretty seriously from the standpoint of I think they were so good so early and, and all the way through the middle of the season and until somewhat recently 
that we were all guilty of forgetting that this is a team that didn't even make the playoffs last year. And, um, you know, they don't know how to essentially handle the marathon versus the sprint. And it feels a little bit right now like they're trying to, you know, they spent the last couple of years pushing to the finish line all the way until the end and actually playing really well in the second half, but in order to get to the playoffs. So, you know, psychologically, what is that like when all of a sudden in February, you know you're in the playoffs, it's just a matter of positioning and, and uh, matchups and things of that nature. But I think, you know, they are taking this thing too far when it comes to their struggles. I mean, they really do look like they're primed to be a maybe even a first-round upset candidate. You know, the, the other um, side of it, a team like OKC, I think partly because they are older and a lot more vets on that squad, maybe I'll be wrong. I still think they can make some noise no matter who they have in the first round, uh, you know, from Russ to Paul, they have a mentality that I really do. You know, I think they just flat out look at it and say seven games, you got to beat us four times, you know, let's go see. Not to say that these red flags are not real, but you know, I, I you know, I'm probably buying into the Denver struggles even more than the uh, OKC. I, I got to tell you what, I couldn't be further away from you on OKC. I really couldn't. First of all, they didn't win their first round series last year. Yep. Right? They were they were like and I know they had Carmelo and all, but they're round and out last year. The second thing is they have two of the most inefficient offensive players in the NBA on their roster. And they use their second and third most amount of possessions. Russell Westbrook and Dennis Schroeder are two of the least efficient players in the entire league. If Paul George doesn't play like an MVP, then they're not good. Like, if you remember my pick and roll list of the top 50 pick and roll guys in the league? Yep. So there's actually 51 guys who've used 1,000 picks. Colin Sexton is the least efficient in the NBA. Dennis Smith Jr. is second. You know who's tied for the third and fourth worst pick and roll? Russ and PG. Russ and Dennis Schroeder. Russ and Dennis, yeah. I mean, and we're the list of guys we're talking about here are Reggie Jackson, Corey Joseph, Emmanuel Moutier, Fred Van Vliet, Dwayne Wade, Dennis Smith Jr., Colin Sexton, Russell Westbrook, and Dennis Schroeder. Like, that's... That is fair. That is real. That is fair. I mean, Paul, you know, his shoulder is the X factor for what they're doing, and I don't know where it's at and how he's feeling, um, but we have seen, I mean, your qualifier was unless Paul George plays like an MVP. Well, he's fully capable of doing that. And I also, this is why I love OKC just from an entertainment standpoint is that every once in a while, and, and for the first half of the year, a whole lot more frequently, their defense would unlock in the kind of way that was really fun to watch. And it, it was so good that it would mask all those offensive deficiencies that you're highlighting. And they still have that in them in spurts. You know, they had, I forget who they played the other day, but they had a, uh, like a 24 nothing run. And it was just, you know, hands on everything, you know, disruptive, uh, defense starting offense, all those things. You know, like at their best, they have that. But, I mean, Dennis's decline has not been helpful at all because he was pretty good the first half of the year. And, and then the thing with Russ and how he has seemingly reacted to Paul's shoulder and Paul's struggles is that they lost that little thing where, you know, Russ was pass first, uh, lower volume, 
type Westbrook that is a whole lot better for their overall cause. And, and now, you know, he's overcompensating and going back to the bad rust that, uh, that doesn't help him. What do you think they rank defense? What he's, no, what do you he's th- not dropping twenty twenty twenty. I mean, that was pretty insane. I, mean, I, I mean, that is the that is the essence of what you're saying, though, about OKC. Is there's just this feeling that Russ could just do something like Russ's game yeah. five against Utah. It will never be remembered. It was an irrelevant game in a blowout series. Like that series was not close. That's the other thing I, I think has been forgotten. That series right. actually wasn't close. Oklahoma City won game one in the Jazz. It took Russell Westbrook. To have one of the most humanly incredible games I've ever seen. I've been in the league for 25 years. I was at Michael's finals. Russell Westbrook's game five against the Utah Jazz is the greatest single performance I've ever seen in my life. And that's wow. what it took for them to win a game. What a statement. I mean, it was incredible. And But that's what it took for right. them to win another game. Right. I, I, I mean, I don't know. What What do you think they rank defensively since January first? January first, um, that's a big sample size, man. Right, forty games. Seven, Forty-two seven, games. Seventeenth. Fifteenth. Yeah. yeah. All right, we're going to talk about the value of defense. When we come back because this is this is my hot button. It is Sam Amick with us. Himalaya's got a new app for you for all your podcasts in this ever-changing world. You can get Locked on NBA. You can get Locked on Jazz. You get all the new Locked on MLB channels as well on the new app, Himalaya. Check it out. All right, so James Harden, Giannis Adetokounmpo for defense, or for MVP. Rudy Gobert, Carl Anthony Towns is probably a debate for uh, all NBA. All these, we just give total lip service and maybe not even that to defense. And every metric out there shows that at least in the regular season, defense is as important as offense. Every metric. Why don't we give defense any credit, yet we talk about it all the time? Kind of like, oh, it's really important. Like, the MVP race to me, I'm sorry, it's Giannis. Like, it's Giannis. Like, I think James Harden has had an unbelievable superhuman year, but when I finally had to dig into it, frankly, Giannis is about as efficient, if actually not more efficient than and more impactful offensively than James. And defensively, it's not even close. I mean, it's not even close. I hear you on that. I, you know, and I'm I'm going to use you as my MVP therapist here because I'm still working my way through that decision. Uh, I think today I'm leaning somewhat strongly towards James with just a few games to go here. And one of the things that I can't seem to shake from my uh, my kind of imperfect personal calculus is that I've watched the Bucks extremely closely for a while now and. I have a great understanding of the impact he has on everything they do on the floor. And yes, that is directly tied to value and inherently an MVP race, but he is the most important piece of a system, but he also still, you can watch for 15 minutes and you might not have a Giannis moment uh, in a Bucks game. It's hard to get past the optics of when you flip on James Harden, nine times out of 10, you see him, doing things that are incredible because, you know, it's like any sport, any competition, when the opponent knows what's coming and they can't stop it, I'm fascinated by that ability. And 
he has evolved. This is not the same dude who won MVP last year. In fact, we talked about the D'Antoni interview earlier. One of the things he highlighted that has not been kind of covered that much, although our Rockets beat writer Kelly Eco had a good piece on this, James' floaters this year and essentially his adjustment to defense is deciding that, all right, Houston, if you're going to do everything from three and at the rim, then, you know, we're going to leave the middle open. And, and James has adjusted and he's hitting floaters at a much higher rate this year. He's taking a lot more. Um, so evolution is always fascinating to me. Uh, I just, you know, Giannis has been great. I just don't see the kind of superhuman nightly effort that I see with James. And the defensive stuff, I mean, the way you kind of gave the backdrop on that side, that's valid. I'm not really going to get mad at the media. I'll be honest. It's the NBA's fault. I mean, if these GMs want to change the narrative, then start paying the guys who help you on the defensive end. Rudy is the outlier. He's really the only guy out there getting paid to play defense. And we also know how important he is on the offensive end. I mean, these teams continue to reward the offensive side of the ball a whole lot more than defense. All right, I, I'll give you this one offensive note. You can decide what you want to do with it. So my offensive metric that I've created that I evaluate all offensive players by is I take their amount of possessions they use in a night and compare it, call it scoring opportunities, not possessions, because I don't count turnovers. So that's beneficial to James, by the way. Um, I, and I compare it to what an average player in the league would do. Okay? So if Steph Curry uses yep. 20... Scoring opportunities a night. The average player in the league would score this amount of points. How many more does Steph Curry score? And Giannis is actually better than James Harden this year. Giannis is the best in the NBA. Giannis scores the most points above an average player in the league on a given night with his possessions. More than Harden. Even though, Harden even though I mean, Harden's I, using more not... possessions. Yeah, but I mean, you're, you're prorating it essentially, and that's... No, I'm not prorating it. Just on a given night. No, the fact that Harden's using 10 more possessions is not hurting Harden. Giannis is just that much more efficient than Harden. Right. But my thing with Milwaukee, and it's it's always – this is an imperfect debate, but, like, you know, sometimes – I don't know how many times the same team has gotten coach of the year and MVP. You know, I tend to be one of those people that looks at it and says – you can't have it both ways. Like, you know, not that one person deserves all the credit, but in Milwaukee, Mike Budenholzer unlocked what they were doing. Giannis goes to a new level. But, you know, the luxury that Giannis has that James by design doesn't have, and, and who knows if they played like the Bucks, how it might be different, is, that, I mean, you know, there's a reason that they don't lean on Giannis the way they lean on James. They've got you know, something out there that Houston doesn't have. And they tried to dole out the responsibilities more in, you know, last couple of years, have Chris do what he could do. And you talked about that. Chris doesn't do it at a high enough rate. I mean, I get folks who think it's not any fun to watch. And, it, and I know there's even a ton of former players who just look at what James is doing and say, well, damn, I could have done that if I had the ball every single time down the floor. And, and I'm not glossing over that at all, but you know, like, Giannis is part of a, an extremely dominant system that, that he is the X factor and the key to and the most important piece of. But it's just a completely different context. Wait a sec. Didn't Howard Beck use this argument on you in his podcast? And now you're using Which it? Which one? This whole system argument? Wasn't this Howard Beck's argument to you when you did 448? And you're adopting <laughs> it as your argument? 
Am I, I want to make sure I know exactly what's going on here. I didn't buy and subconsciously. I, I just want to. Now uh, I got to go back and listen. I want to let you know when Howard Beck used it to you, I didn't buy it either. <laughs> just to let you know. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, all right. So I'll give you my personal one. And this is certainly personal. And I, I'm in the bag. I'm in the bag. How can how right. can I hear people tell me that Carl Anthony Towns is third team all NBA over Rudy Gobert? I don't know. You don't have. We can we can put that argument to bed because he's not for me. I mean, I just, um, but I, it's you've heard it right. Really smart. Yeah. People talk. Oh well, that's these. Th- like, if Carl Anthony Towns was better defensively, they'd be in the playoffs. Right. Yep. No, I hear you on that. I mean, Rudy just keeps getting. And I know it's it's in your backyard. I mean, Rudy gets shade year after year. Uh, doesn't get enough love. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, Carl's been very good on the offensive end, and, and people tend to, you know, we even like 20 and 10 is, you know, that, that's kind of a, a, a lingo type thing that still floats around the league. Like, ah, oh, he's a 20 and 10 guy. Like, there's just a certain, uh, a certain cachet that gets attached to bigs who put up the kinds of numbers that Carl's putting up. But, you know, the, the defensive side is a huge, huge omission, huge weakness. And then you've got, just the, the Minnesota story in general is not all that inspiring. You know, he had his chance after Jimmy got traded to, to kind of take the torch and get things done there, and, and they didn't do it. So I'm with you. You know, the other one that's interesting, and I think he's great, and his plus-minus numbers are through the roof, is how um, offensively inefficient Joel and Beats become. Interesting. Is it pretty bad? Well, it's just because he keeps wanting to shoot that three, and he doesn't shoot it for real. Right. And so we'll see in the playoffs what he does. I mean, he's great. Like, let's not um, let's not miscast this conversation, right? Like, he's truly, I mean, he's truly just, and his and and the uh, the plus minus off court numbers are, and he's not terribly inefficient. Let me rephrase that. He's he's uh, he's efficient. Um, and he's pretty good. He has been better. He's become less efficient. Let me rephrase that. That's probably the right, right. way to say it. Um, but it's interesting. He is Joel Embiid. You look at the plus-minus numbers on Joel Embiid, and I think, oh, my gosh. Like, you want to talk about the most valuable player in the league. That's That's got to be high up there in conversation. I, I mean, he did. it is stunning what he does to the floor, and he's done it for two years in a row. Right, right. I was going to say, since before we move on completely from MVP, since you know you're you're now stuck in my head with our rare disagreement, which is kind of fun. Yeah. Um, the the health factor is another one for me. That I mean, we see teams like this, like the Warriors, come to mind a couple of years ago in fourteen fifteen. I think that was the one where just no injuries. That you know, healthy all the way through. The Bucks got hit late in the year, um, but by the time, like we kind of had their narrative set in stone by the time they actually had, you know, any significant injuries. Then you juxtapose that or contrast that with James. And, and again, full disclosure, I just had, you know, PR man Mike D'Antoni doing his magic. But all the roster turnover is incredible and all the injuries and the fact that, that the Rockets are even sniffing the Bucks' level of success while playing in the West. They're eight games behind them right now, and I don't know, you know, how many – unofficial wins you give them if they played in the East. Uh, it just, to me, that part comes into play, too. Here's uh, my final thought, and then we everyone can move on with their day and decide that I don't know anything. Here's what I think we have stopped valuing, interestingly enough, in the NBA. 
It's the dunk. Okay. So when Giannis goes and gets a dunk, we don't think it's kind of almost back to Shaq. Like all, maybe this has always been the case that like when Shaq used to dunk all the time, and everybody would always say, "Well, all he can do is dunk." Great. Mike D'Antoni right. would never shoot a three if he could get a dunk every possession. Right. And we classify we. I think Giannis is being hurt. Giannis is shooting fifty. 8% from the field. I think he's being hurt a little bit by the fact that, well, he doesn't have an outside shot. He just dunks. Like, James Harden would dunk every play if he could, too. But Giannis yeah. can do it. And, and guy, this is the thing. We just think everyone can do it. They can't. Like, no, but it's not. Okay, but that's fine. I hear your, I hear your logic, and I agree 100%. But it's not. The, the, the missing thing there is we don't have on the scoring side of things, we don't have Shaq-like numbers. This is where Giannis might lose the MVP and he can be mad at Coach Bud because Mike chose to play him less. Uh, the minutes are not even close. And and the scoring, like if you had a three as a first digit on your scoring instead of a two, you're going to pop a whole lot more eyeballs. You know what I mean? Like that's the thing if you want to hone in on one area. Because we still, like we already highlighted, we are addicted to the offensive end and to scoring the basketball. James is sitting there with damn near a 10-point gap in scoring. It's incredible. Right, because he uses... Uh, Paul George is at 28. He uses 50% He uses fifty more possessions a night than Giannis does. Yeah, I'm not disputing that part. I'm just saying that you you have to peel the onion back a lot to truly appreciate what Giannis is doing because of, you know, the, the, the minutes per game, you know, decrease compared to James because of everything you're breaking down. Um, you know, that's not typically what you have to do to decide that a guy's MVP. I'm not saying he's not the MVP. I haven't made my decision yet, but I think the, the voters who, where he might lose them is that, that is asking a lot to get through all that context to truly appreciate what he's doing. Do we just not care that he doubles him up in rebounds? No, we do, but I mean, no, we do. I all mean, right. that's huge. I mean, that's. By the again, by, by the know, way, here, I mean, here here's my point. Leaders, Euro... Go ahead. Let me go back to let me go back to my silly stat because I think this will explain what I'm trying to say a little bit. So Giannis uses 21 scoring opportunities tonight. And he's 3.5 points better than an average player. Okay, he scores three. The only player in the league better than him is Steph at 3.6. Harden okay. uses 30 a night, 29.6. He's 3.2 points better than average. We're underestimating the impact Giannis has on a game offensively, even if it's for only 21 possessions instead of for 30, even if it's only for 27 points compared to 36, he's actually impacting the game more positively every night than Harden is. Yeah. Well, this is the writer in me, though. Like, that's fine on the number side of things. But, I mean, you tell me the story of the Rockets season. I mean, they're both the same. If you take either one of these guys away from their teams, they crumble. So, you know, but I do – for Houston's story, the the question of tell me who else could have gotten them to this point, given what that roster and that team has been through, you know, like that's I think that's a fair point to make. But I again, it's close, man. Like it's really close. And you know, I like your argument a hell of a lot better than I like people saying best player, best team 
because we got to think a little more critically than that. You know what I mean? Um, and I, and I think, you know, a lot of people I've talked to about Giannis, that's what they fall back on, but you make a lot of great points. All right. Super fun conversation. As always, we didn't know where it was going to go. That's where it ended up. Appreciate your time. Read it in the athletic, the article on Houston. Uh, there's a fun players poll coming out in the athletic in the next few days. Keep an eye out for that. So, uh, enjoy yourself reading all that. Sam will talk. Someone will talk to you on locked in NBA next week. Maybe it'll be me for all we know. And the playoffs will finally be here. How fun. Finally, one of these days we need a shorter season, brother. <laughs> oh, here he goes. It is no, I, I don't want a shorter season. I, I'm certain somewhere indirectly I get paid based on the amount of games that they play. I have no interest in a shorter season. <laughs> you sound like a player. I'm out of story ideas. I need playoff okay, stories. That, that is fine, I but I don't want a shorter season. I'm certain it would hurt my pay. That is Locked On <laughs> NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.